And so you're starting to see a lot of other existing conspiracies that predate QAnon, sort of in this QAnon umbrella. The example that I gave in the past to Anderson Cooper is it's like a sticky ball rolling down a hill and it's picking up all the adjacent conspiracies as it goes along and it's getting bigger and bigger. This is The Way Podcast. The militias needed to have a heads up that I was coming. I personally think they didn't, you know, like in chess. So that's how deep the addiction goes. I've been incarcerated most of my life. Having a conversation with Bill. They've been given no option, either join or die. Snipers, and it was a military. J. Cole came and hung out most of the fire session. I'm standing at the studio blast looking out into the studio. If you want to know more about The Way Podcast, go to podcasttheway.com. This is FM 91.7, WHUS stores at the top of the hour. I'm your host, Billy Trofesky. And like the introduction said, be sure to go to podcasttheway.com. Now today, I'm sitting down with Dr. Mia Bloom, author of being released June 15th, the book, Pastels and Pedophiles. First off, how are you doing today? I'm okay. I'm okay. I, I'm wearing some pastels, so I sort of, you know, fit with the book. <laughs> nice. I got my all black shirt I, on, so I'll be the opposite. You could be, yeah, you could be black hat. No, no, I, it's either this or I'm ready for pride next month. So one or the other. There you go. And um, so, yeah, you're the author of this book and it's being released today when this airs, actually. So can you tell me a little bit about the book? So, so I'm the co-author because it's uh, me and Sophia Moskalenko. And what happened was about a year and a half ago, I had this idea that we needed to have a book on QAnon and I have an imprint at Stanford University Press. I have my own series and I started contacting people and I was just getting ghosted everywhere <laughs> and people weren't calling me back, including one or two people who have books coming out on QAnon. But I was like, hi, I'm Mia. Would you like to publish a book on QAnon? And so after about a year of this, I was very frustrated and I talked to the president of the press and he said, I bet after a year of you studying QAnon, you could write a book. I'm like, well, I could co-write a book. So Sophia and I came up with the idea that we're going to do something a little different. We're going to tell you about QAnon, but we, because Sophia is a clinical psychologist and she's like the leading expert on the psychology of terrorism in the world, we thought, well, what if we also have explaining the psychology of it. But if you have a family member or a friend, how do you get them out of QAnon? And so that was where we wanted to do something a little bit different. So it's a book that isn't for academics, even though it's technically Stanford University, but also we wanted it to be useful. Like we wanted to be able to give people helpful hints about inoculating yourself from the QAnon mythology, but also helping people come out of that horrible rabbit hole into the light. So where other books will just dive into QN and its history, you're more on the relationship between families and what goes wrong when people join this QN organization. Well, in fairness, I think ours is the first book that will come out that isn't trying to convince you <laughs> to join QAnon. Although Nick West has a fantastic book called um, Leaving the Rabbit Hole or Getting Out of the Rabbit Hole. So he talks a little bit about QAnon, but he's talking mostly about chemtrails and contrails and 9-11 truthers and people that believe in extraterrestrials, but he's also very helpful. But yeah, um, I think some of the other books, from what I can tell from their press releases, you know, they're going to delve into what QAnon is and what the storm is. And we do that, but we take it to the next level where we explain the psychology of like, how did it become what it is? Because it's so crazy that you don't start with blood drinking pedophiles. You start with something that everyone can agree on. And then, you know, you do this slow slide down this rabbit hole. And what was so interesting for me, because uh, I've been writing about terrorism for like over 30 years, was how similar QAnon was in terms of its appeal to women. And it was using some of the same ways to get women involved as ISIS had gotten women involved. So I thought, this is a crazy comparison, but I think it explains how women inherently react very similarly to the kinds of ways to recruit them, 
whether it's Al-Qaeda, ISIS, or QAnon. Gotcha. So yeah, like it starts off something simple like politicians, they're corrupt. We can all kind of agree on that. But then exactly. it takes a step farther and it's like, oh, this guy is a little more corrupt. And then it leads to like Epstein and full-blown. You kind of said it there, but the full consensus is that my understanding, the rich elites sort of abuse children or like babies to release the chemical in the brain that really stresses them out. And then they drink the blood in order to live longer. Pretty much. It's a baseless conspiracy theory that argues that there are, uh, and it's not just the rich elites because they're really focusing on the democratic elites, but also they look at Hollywood and certain, you know, really famous movie stars and television stars. Uh, They include the British Royal family in part because of the connection between Prince Andrew and Jeffrey Epstein. But the argument is that there's a cabal that has been controlling the world for, you know, forever. And that the way in which they stay young and they get their energy is from this chemical called adrenochrome, which is released when children are especially frightened or if they're tortured. So what happens is with a lot of this stuff, we could trace its origins to different kinds of existing conspiracy theories. And so a lot of this blood drinking stuff comes from 100-year-old anti-Semitic tracts, over 100 years old, but also how much of it was just copied from Hollywood storylines. And I'll tell you how we, we came to that conclusion. First of all, let's start with what's true about QAnon. QAnon occasionally gets things right, because you know, even a broken clock is right twice a day. They said that part of the reason Bill Gates was getting divorced was his connection to Jeffrey Epstein. And within a few days, it came out to be that is one of the reasons. I mean, there were other reasons too. But I think by having anything that is QAnon be accurate, it empowers the entirety of the conspiracy theories. And they're like, so everything's true. And I think that that's that's where the, the problem is. Because again, you can be right about one or two things and still be wrong about everything else. Or you can just understand that, like I said, even the broken clock is correct twice a day. But aside from that, they'll say things like, Hollywood is full of you know, sexually exploitative men. Well, yeah, the casting couch. I mean, we know that that's true. And then you look and you've got Woody Allen and you've got Jeffrey Epstein and you have Harvey Weinstein. And if you expand it further, Michael Jackson. I mean, you have all these people who have been wealthy and famous who take advantage and you know perhaps even matt gates but they don't talk about matt gates so they only talk about it when it's democrats the other thing that's really hard to convince people is that i'm not you know drinking the blood of children okay so in writing the book we had to read a lot of QAnon materials i had to be on the chat rooms and the, i mean they didn't know i was there but i was watching everything taking screenshots and so some of the things that they would say would point to a specific thing that you could disprove. And so that's what we wanted to do. We wanted to just very gently pull out the thread to plant the seed of doubt in people who believe in QAnon to show how much of this is just a lie, but also how a handful of people at the very top of QAnon are taking advantage of all the people believing in it and are financially benefiting from it. And I hear that's kind of one of the reasons it's so hard to convince somebody they're wrong in like QAnon because you can say, you're wrong about this, but then they say, what about, they use like, what about ism? And then, then it's like, all right, you're wrong about that. You're wrong about that. But eventually the person will be right about something. And that's the only thing that matters. It's see, got you. See, I told you I was right. And, and it's, and actually that's not even the approach that we recommend. We don't recommend telling someone they're wrong or they're stupid or they're crazy or they're whatever. I think that that's the wrong approach for most of the people in QAnon. I actually believe that most of these people entered into QAnon with very good motives, because if your original reason for joining QAnon is that you wanted to save the children, of course you want to save the children. I mean, that's that's a wonderful motive. And they hold up in esteem, for example, Tim Ballard, who does Operation Underground Rescue. And he's, I mean, he's great. He's this, you know, Christian ex-CIA, ex-Department of Homeland Security person who goes and actually rescues children. But that's very different from what QAnon is talking about. So when Tim Ballard goes to Haiti or Colombia and he's rescuing children, those aren't the children that QAnon are talking about. 
QAnon thinks that there's 8 million children a year that are going missing, that they're mostly, based on their propaganda, mostly white children and girls. And in fact, most of trafficking, not white kids, the kids that Tim Ballard has saved, not white kids. And so part of this you realize is that there's an inherent racism within QAnon, aside from using these anti-Semitic tropes, they basically kind of only care about these little white kids. So is there similarities or does it tend to have a lot of ties with say Proud Boys or even like extreme like the KKK or something like that? I think that's one of the things that, you know, there's a woman, Elizabeth Newman, she used to be Department of Homeland Security. She's on TV a lot like CNN and all the news shows. She's been talking since January about the concern that with President Joe Biden being the 46th president, a lot of these QAnon people were going to be attracted to other really violent right-wing groups. And I haven't really seen that. Now, you could be KKK and QAnon or Proud Boys and QAnon. But the idea that all these millions of people that believe in QAnon are going to migrate to the racist far right, I think, thankfully, I don't think that that's the case. And so that's where you have this debate that's emerged about QAnon. Is this a radicalization problem? Is this where QAnon are future terrorists like ISIS? And as much as, you know, Sophia and I would financially benefit from it being terrorism, we're saying no. Uh, she's looking at this as a mental health crisis, that the vast majority of people who are in QAnon are having, you know, these, these anxieties. And the reason that they have gone into the rabbit hole and they believe in conspiracy theories is that the conspiracy theory offers them some sort of comfort that you know the indiscriminate nature of reality doesn't and assuming that there's a plan even if there's an evil plan for some reason makes people feel better than thinking that and i'll give you an example this weekend a friend of mine went to home depot he was standing on the corner and he got shot just like that no reason he got shot He's okay. But for QAnon, the idea that you could just be standing on a street corner, crossing the street after buying mulch at Home Depot and get shot. No, 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 no. There has to be some reason. Maybe it's because you know something and the deep state is trying to get rid of you. There's no coincidences. No such thing as coincidences. No such thing as bad luck. And the fact is, our lives are such that I could get hit by a bus crossing the street. And literally, my friend got shot standing outside a Home Depot for no reason whatsoever. And so these kinds of things happen and it's not because there's an evil plan. Now, the problem is there are enough instances in the history of this country that there have been plans, there have been real conspiracies. There were no weapons of mass destruction in Iraq. We had instances like, for example, the Tuskegee experiments for 70 years where people were doing awful things to individuals of color by not treating syphilis, by letting them live with syphilis and watching what happened. I mean, so there are conspiracies, but when there's a real conspiracy, eventually the more people that know about it, the more likely you're going to have leaks. And there haven't been those kinds of leaks. And so that's where, you know, Benjamin Franklin used to joke saying that you could have a conspiracy between three people if two of them are already dead because people don't keep secrets and there's a lot of leakage. And we know this, I'll tell you where, from terrorism. A lot of these lone actors, 73% of the time, they've told someone about their plan. So the fact is keeping secrets about something this big, this, this coordinated would have been impossible. We would have heard much more about it. But also the number of missing kids, which is horrible, is probably closer to 800,000 and not 8 million. Because if 8 million of anything happened, we would hear about it. I did a Flat Earth episode like maybe 10 ago. He uh, He's a firm Flat Earth believer. I don't believe the Earth is flat. And one of the reasons I don't is because to have every single scientist or the whole NASA organization be in on it without anyone leaking, it's a little far-fetched. But then... I've heard conspiracy theories like everybody knows MK Ultra, and then there's one in like San Francisco where they put this bacteria in the city to see how much it spread, and a few people got like really sick from it. So that's a little more recent and a little more America. So I guess that's where people sort of get their fear from to then dive deeper into this QN and hole. 
I mean, I can understand, you know, when when ISIS used to say to young women to try to recruit them to join and, you know, travel to Turkey and sneak into Syria. Did you want to help the orphans? Everybody wants to help. Who's going to say no? Who's going to say F the orphans? And so in many ways, when QAnon in 2020, in the summer of 2020, when they started using that hashtag, save the children, save our children, of course, that's going to appeal to this almost maternal instinct in most women where you want to save the children. Of course, I want to save the children. And so that's where, you know, these conspiracies speak to us at a very basic level. And that's why I was saying that, you know, I'm very sympathetic to people who believe in QAnon and I'm not brushing with, you know, broad strokes that they're all this or that they're stupid or crazy or whatever. I think that the desire to help people is wonderful, but the problem is it's being manipulated in a way. And especially when, for example, you know, you, you've heard of Parler, which is our Parlay, which was supposed to be the Twitter replacement. And we, we got a copy of it before it was taken down off of Amazon hosting services, which, you know, again, is one of these like 53 terabytes of data kind of stuff, a lot of data. But so much of everything that was QAnon had Venmo and PayPal links to General Michael Flynn's defense. And so they were making a fortune. You know, there are people who are cashing in. And I think it's important that if you if you believe in QAnon and you realize, well, wait a second, Sidney Powell's talking QAnon, but in court she's saying it's baloney to cover her bottom. Well, maybe I should believe what she says in court when she says that it's a fake. And then she turns around and she's still trying to make money off of it. So, you know, I, I want to give people the ability to see if someone is gaming them, if they're trying to take advantage of them. And I think that that's one of the first things. We're not going to say you're wrong. You're going to say, OK, who do you think is making the money off of this? And, you know, you ask the kinds of probing questions. OK, well, so how do you explain that this happened and this happened? Like, how do you explain that almost nothing QAnon predicted came true, except, for example, this thing recently with uh, Bill Gates and and maybe his relationship to Epstein was one of several factors. I think having a weekend away with your ex-girlfriend probably doesn't help. And also when you say that the thing you like best is being alone by yourself reading and you have a wife and three kids also doesn't help. So I'm sure that there were a lot of different things going on in that marriage. Yeah. If people are benefiting from it, it kind of makes me think of like Scientology or something. Is it kind of a cult? Because, I mean, like you said yourself, if people are killing these kids and doing all that stuff. In other words, it's very hard to be against that because obviously everybody's against that happening. So is it basically yeah. a cult where people are just taking money and taking advantage of these people? Well, you know, and that's where the cult experts are also making money to try to convince you it's a cult. So a cult is kind of like a new religious movement. And there isn't really a religion around Q, although evangelical Christians disproportionately believe in QAnon, but you also have people, you know, like Orthodox Jews that believe in QAnon. So it isn't a cult in the sense of having a unified religious message, and there isn't the embodiment of one person, but it certainly is more like a movement that has cult-like elements. And so when you when you watch, you know, that show with Leah Rimini about Scientology, or there was an HBO documentary about Scientology as well. A lot of people joined Scientology because they were convinced Scientology was helping to cure the world of many ills, of poverty and of environmental degradation. When in fact, we know now that Scientology is only like a giant money-making scheme. And it's kind of like a, what do they call multi-level marketing? Or we would have called scheme. it a pyramid scheme or a Ponzi scheme. And it's all about making money and it's all about extorting people to have like all this um, to pay in advance for their classes. And you see that in many cults where ultimately it was about the money and control, as well as having sex with the women of the cult. And I think that that's where, you know, QAnon is a little bit different. There isn't one person that is Q who is, you know, taking advantage of their position of power and is individually financially benefiting. But there's a group of these QAnon influencers who have definitely been cashing in. Separate from the cult mentality is that, you know, um, there is a political element to Q. So it's as if Scientology also had a political party. Because QAnon has captured, if not the imagination of the Republican Party, certainly a wing of the Republican Party and the Tea Party movement 
has gone full-blown Q. And that's because in the summer of 2020, when we had the primaries, although we have currently two members of Congress, Lauren Boebert and Marjorie Taylor Greene, who are QAnon spouting, Madison Cawthorn is QAnon curious. In the primaries, there were 97 QAnon candidates, of which the vast majority were Republicans. So I think that the reason Kevin McCarthy and other Republican leaders are reticent about disavowing QAnon, which they absolutely should, is because they know that they might be primaried um, by QAnon spouting candidates. And we're going to see in 2022, I think a bunch more people who believe in QAnon, who are using QAnon as part of their platform, but also using the QAnon networks for fundraising. Again, it's all about the grift and to empower themselves. And so that that's the concern. The concern is that the Republican Party is losing its real ideals and it's falling down this rabbit hole alongside the QAnon conspiracy theorists. Correct me if I'm wrong, too, but I think I saw one in seven Republican candidates. It was uh, they showed some degree of support for QAnon. Yeah. So among Republicans, it was something like so evangelicals, it's about 30 as, as high as 39 percent of people who identify as evangelicals believe in some elements of QAnon, but it's um, probably something like 29% of Republicans believe that there is a you know cabal of blood drinking Democrats that are trying, that are part of the deep state and trying to control things. And so that's the, that's a problem. And so what's happened now with the QAnon channels is they've diversified their portfolio. They're very anti-vax, they're anti-Fauci, um, they're very anti-mask. Uh, and so you're starting to see a lot of other existing conspiracies that predate QAnon being sort of enveloped in this QAnon umbrella. The example that I gave in the past to Anderson Cooper is it's like a sticky ball rolling down a hill and it's picking up all the adjacent conspiracies as it goes along and it's getting bigger and bigger. Wow. Yeah. Here's a conspiracy theory. Uh, throw in the pile. There you go. <laughs> exactly. And so like there's stuff that makes no sense. I mean, so of course, Pizzagate makes sense because QAnon believes in that. But there's also stuff about like Jewish space lasers. And I was like, okay, I even went so far and I bought this here. See, the Jewish space laser brigade. Oh, I so want one of those. I, wanted, <laughs> I had wanted to, I would wanted that the book would come with one of these, but that ends up being more expensive than the book. But 50% of the proceeds for those pins are actually going to fund anti-QAnon candidates. So if a QAnon person emerges, then whoever's running against them will get some of the proceeds from those pins. That's great, but it also sucks that you even have to fund that. Like, it seems so ludicrous in the sense that that shouldn't even be a concern, but you sort of feed into the extremes of your population to vote for you. I mean, and this is, this is something to expect. You know, what happens is, we have these theories about American politics, right? And so basically we have left and right. But for the most part, up until very recently, Republicans and Democrats were kind of more in the middle. They weren't that far apart from each other. And there was only like a handful of issues that genuinely separated Republicans from Democrats. Things like a woman's right to choose, gay marriage, taxes, stuff like that. But now with the QAnon, instead of the Republicans and the Democrats being very close and just slightly different, they've pushed and become far more partisan. And so now you have one group of people that are spouting insane things, either about the election being stolen and the big lie. And then you have the Democrats who are also um, having to fend off these crazy allegations. So, I mean, the problem is that it is ultimately corrosive to the American democracy to have conspiracy theories being espoused by millions of people and what about trump i found is supposed to be a big figure in this so where does he factor in according to QAnon, president trump was asked to run in uh, i guess would have been 2015 when he made the announcement in 2016, or before the 2016 election, by generals that were trying to, you know, get rid of the deep state cabal. And so according to the QAnon belief, uh, pres former President Trump is Q plus. 
And what they would do is they would look to President Trump as being the one who can really save the children. And for me, what was, again, a little bit confusing and surprising is President Trump at that point had been accused by 26 different women, either of sexual harassment or at least in one case of rape, as well as being accused by a, an underage girl who uh, was threatened and I guess she dropped the suit. So President Trump isn't sort of the this Lancelot-like hero that I would have imagined, but in QAnon, they perceive him as being, you know, um, unvarnished and the one who's going to swoop in and save the kids. And in fact, not only is he not saving the kids, but, you know, he, he's, but he was as buddies with Jeffrey Epstein as any of the Democrats were. And they sort of look away from that. And, and anything that Trump does that's really sketchy, like, you know, raw dogging porn stars when your wife has just given birth to your child, well, you know, they excuse him for that and they, they try to come up with some explanation and that he's playing some three or five level ch chess when in fact, I don't even think he knows how to play checkers. I love a common conversation I've had with people is either Donald Trump's this insanely intelligent guy who knows exactly what he's saying in some crazy 3D chess or is a complete moron. I like to think the latter, but. Well, okay, so. When you hear interviews of Donald Trump years ago, he was a lot more articulate and he could, you know, have an entire sentence without saying things like bigly. But in QAnon, if he misspells something like kofefi, which is one of the more famous ones, well, that's really code. He's not making a typo. It's code for something else. And then they have this almost like Kabbalah relationship with the letters and that the letters become like numerology. And the letters represent numbers and the numbers represent something else. And it's it when you hear someone who believes in QAnon explain it, it does sound a little bit like the guy with the tinfoil hat and the whiteboard trying to connect everything. And this isn't to say, and this is why I want to start with, everyone probably believes in at least one conspiracy. The conspiracies on the left might be that John F. Kennedy, you know, wasn't shot by Lee Harvey Oswald or wasn't only shot by Lee Harvey Oswald. Or other, other beliefs on the left would be um, that uh, Lady Diana was killed on purpose. It wasn't an accident in a tunnel in Paris. Like So people do tend to believe in lots of different conspiracy theories. And so there isn't a political ideology associated, except QAnon is so, so much sort of interwoven with Republican politics and with the presence of Donald Trump being the hero, that it's very clear that the vast majority of people who believe in QAnon are Republicans. And they are like the full Trump supporting Republicans, not the Republicans who are, you know, circumspect about Trump, but like his like his choices for the Supreme Court or like his tax policies. Gotcha. Yeah, like I see at the rallies, maybe like pictures in the articles of Q shirts. Even the other day, I saw a truck driving with a Q sticker on it. And I was thinking like, oh, I'm recording an episode on that soon, huh? It's one of those things where like you hear about it, so then you start seeing it everywhere. And I started to see it a few times. But while Republicans are the large majority, I have a stat here actually by CVS. 34% Republicans are not sure if it's real or not. 23% yeah. see it certainly or probably true which, I mean, one in four is quite high, but even yeah. Democrats was 13% see certainly or probably true. And I saw that it's not, it also sort of captures all ages or all races into this theory. And it's funny because the CBS poll that you're citing is even more Democrats than the uh, American Enterprises Institute poll that came out at the, I guess it was in February, but it captured the end of January. And they only had 6% of people who identified as Democrats saying that they believed that there was a blood drinking cabal. So one of the things we did in the book was we explained how does that happen? Like, how do you have all these Democrats believing in it? And it relates back to what I was saying before about the Save the Children campaign that happened uh, last summer. And uh, because a lot of the social media companies started clamping down on QAnon channels and websites and posters and things like that, uh, Facebook and Twitter and even um, Etsy began to deplatform QAnon. They began using different kinds of hashtags to hide behind the AI that was searching for QAnon. So instead of QAnon, it would be 17 and on, 
because Q is the 17th letter of the alphabet, or they would say C-U-E and on, so Q, but, or Q-U-E-U, that kind of, you know, like barbecue, Q and on. One of the things that they used was save the children, save our children. And that ended up bringing in, especially when it went to Instagram, it ended up bringing a lot of people who believe in things like veganism and essential oils and yoga and natural childbirth or breastfeeding instead of formula. And that I think captures a lot of these um, democratic, like ordinarily democratic voters. We know from some of the people who have left QAnon and who've been doing the talk show circuit, many of them were Bernie bros. Like they believed in Bernie Sanders and they didn't like Hillary and they didn't like, um, they didn't like Joe Biden. They really loved Bernie. So I think that QAnon, because of certain elements like the anti-vax and, and sort of the, the fact that it was attracting people on Instagram that were into yoga, definitely pulled in people that we would ordinarily associate on the left side of the spectrum. Gotcha. I saw some video rallies of this guy. He goes to the QAnon events and he's interviewing people. And I see a woman with the Bernie shirt on and full disclosure back then I was a supporter too. Like, and I'm like, what are you doing? No, you shouldn't be in that group. Get out of there. (laughs) But it is what it is. And I can see it attracting all sides. It does. It does. Because, you know, think about it. Think about like the message of wanting to save children. I mean, I, I actually, the reason that I was interested in this is that I support the charity Save the Children. And so like for years, and when QAnon started talking about Save the Children, one of the things that I know you're videotaping, so I apologize that we're moving now for a second, but oh, I'm wow. just, cause I wanna show you something. All right, so, all right, I'm pulling this off my shelf because I have been a supporter of Save the Children for, as you can see, many, many years. So you go through Save the Children, and and again, you see the girl on the cover, right? Yeah. If you look at the Save the Children campaign that QAnon was running, they were all battered and bruised and bloodied white girls. If you look at Save the Children, the charity, you are looking at children who are generally, they are happy for your help. They're from the global south. So they're Latin American or African or Middle East or Southeast Asian. And you know what you don't see in a Save the Children campaign? The only white girl I see is Jennifer Garner because she's an ambassador to Save the Children. So it's so interesting because, you know, I don't think people realize that there's a hidden racism in that Save the Children campaign. And, And we're doing a study now where we're doing like, thousands of these images from Save the Children, QAnon and Save the Children, the real Save the Children. And we're gonna show how this was intended to bring white suburban women back into the Trump sphere of influence. Because remember last summer, he was losing a lot of white suburban women and their votes, and he needed their votes in order to win the 2020 election. And I suspect that we can show this campaign was really targeting just white suburban women and we know from you know police shootings, white suburban women tend not to uh, that would vote for Trump. They don't care about children of color. They don't even see them as children. So I think that we will be able to show that um, last summer that entire campaign wasn't just about pulling women in from the left and pulling women in across the political spectrum, but it was about pulling women in in order to vote for Trump. That's horrible because I feel like you can show that same postcard to these people. Or you could like show the actual studies or stats or all these children getting abused. But like you said, if the kids are just over in Africa or Asia or wherever else, Middle East or whatever, it's like, eh, I don't care so much no more. I could easily see that. Happening. Right. And, and not only that, but one of the things that we're looking at, you know, and again, just to show you another one again, happy child, happy brown child, happy brown child. Um, they don't show pictures of battered and bruised kids. And I'm going to tell you that the battered and bruised kids that we see in the QAnon stuff, it's movie blood and it's makeup for bruises. These are not bruised and battered children, but it's in order to create an emotion. You know, it's supposed to be evocative. It's supposed to be shocking. And for a woman, especially like suburban moms, they have kids of their own and they can totally see their kid in that kid and they're freaking out. 
And it's one of the things that motivates people to, you know, like Edgar Welch to get in his car and drive thousands of miles in order to shoot up a pizzeria in in our in like in Washington D.C. the Ping Pong Comet Pizzeria. So I this is why I want to make it very clear. I think many people originally got into QAnon for what I would consider to be altruistic reasons, for good reasons. And now that they're down there. They're being bombarded in this closed information echo chamber of stuff that is horrific because I'm watching it too, right? And I'm sitting there going, wow, I mean, if I didn't know this was fake, I'd be really upset. And is that where I guess you talk a little bit about in your book where they get so far into this, but their family kind of wants to get them out? And do they see it as, oh, my family doesn't care about the kids or something like that, which is why these families break apart? Well, there's a few things going on. I think part of it is, I would love more people to think I need to get my family member out. More often what happens is, ugh, I can't deal with cousin Ruth anymore. We're done with her. Let's de- let's unfriend her on Facebook and unfollow her on Twitter. And she's not invited to Thanksgiving next year when we go back to Thanksgiving. I think the problem is the default is to throw your hands up and go, oh my God, the crazy. I can't be around the crazy. And part of it is understandable. We've all been under an incredible amount of stress during this pandemic and the quarantines and the lockdowns and 600,000 Americans dying and then other hundreds of thousands of people with long COVID. So, you know, it's been a lot to deal with people who were all having these pressures and these um, stressors, mental stressors. So to take on the additional role of having to now help my cousin out of QAnon is less attractive. But now that we're going back almost to normalcy, And a lot of the country is reopening. And I can't tell you how lucky we are compared to other countries because I have friends and family who are like, what do you mean you went to a restaurant? You you could leave your house. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, everybody's everybody's pretty much inoculated. And we're back in outdoor dining and cafes and stuff. And they're just like they're so jealous Um, is that it's incumbent upon people to be understanding and empathetic. Because if the person doesn't have any more family outside of QAnon and QAnon's the only thing that they've got left, they are going to hold on to it like for dear life. You know, it's like in the Titanic and you're holding on to that little raft. They're not going to let go because they have nothing else. They've lost so much as being part of QAnon. But the other thing is that a lot of QAnon has told people to cut off from their families. Well, you know, exactly like you said, that if you don't believe in QAnon, then you don't care about the children, then you're part of the cabal. And so you're working extra hard to get that cousin or the brother-in-law or the grandparent back into normalcy. And we want everyone to have like a happy life. We want to help the children. There are ways to help the children that are not involving QAnon. And so, you know, if you really want to help the children, which is a great instinct, do it in a way that doesn't involve believing that anyone's drinking blood. Yeah, because it's one of those things, too. You have, like, all this passion to help these kids behind you, but if you don't put it towards the right cause, one person who donates a dollar to a right charity is technically doing more than what you are doing, even if they only do that for five seconds and they're done. And No, but even more so, Bill, what they're doing is when they're calling the police and they say there's a child trafficking ring, they are diverting resources away from the real child trafficking because there is real child trafficking and it's horrible. But, you know, it's not the little white girls again, but it's one of the things where there's only so much a police department can do or the FBI or whoever is fighting child trafficking. So if you are coming up with all these fantastic ideas that, you know, um, Tom Hanks, (laughs) again, you can't you can't put a strain on a system that doesn't have unlimited resources. And building off that too, I saw actual anti-child trafficking organizations. They like were begging QN and supporters to stop calling because they were getting so many false leads that they couldn't deal with anymore. And so it ends up becoming noise. And so that the person who calls it really is re- reporting on child trafficking is going to get lost in you know we had five hundred calls. If one of them was real and, you know, you don't know which ones to follow up on, you can't follow up on all 500. So it does, it taxes the system. And in fact, it's hurting the fight against child trafficking more so than helping. 
So we're hoping that the study, when we finish the study, we're hoping that we can show people, listen, this is how you know it's a real save the children versus fake. And by the way, the racism is pretty intense. Like the racism is the part that makes people go, oh, damn. <laughs> like, I don't think people realize how racist QAnon is because there are people of color who believe in QAnon. And I think if they knew how racist it was, that might be one of the ways to help, you know, find a pathway out of there. You just said you're working on some research. What uh, What's the research you're working on right now? Well, so I, I've written a bunch of books. And so the book on pastels and pedophiles inside the mind of QAnon is just the newest book. I'm, I'm writing an update to a book that I finished in 2011. So wait, so now I get to, since we're doing video anyways. So I wrote this book a few years ago about suicide terrorism. And then I wrote this book in 2011 about women and terrorism. And then two years ago, I wrote this book about children and terrorism. Oh my God, and how old so is that I, kid on the cover? Oh, so he's a Bosnian kid and he was about eight. And unfortunately, he is not alive anymore. ISIS used him as a car bomber. So they taught the eight and nine-year-old kids how to drive. Uh, automatic, not a stick. Only to be car bombers. It's 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 a horrific. What ISIS did to children and women and the Yazidis. It's I mean we know it was a genocide against the Yazidis, but it's just horrific. So I'm updating my book, uh, the bombshell book. I'm updating it uh, for an, like for 2021 to explain women in Boko Haram and the women that went to ISIS and sort of what jihadi groups do to women to convince them to become terrorists. Gotcha. Do you see overlap there with like the convincing strategy for say QNN2 where they start with something small and eventually lead them to be full-blown terrorists? Well, clearly with the ISIS appeal to young girls about helping the orphans, that was to me exactly like save the children. But I think that there's other things too. There was the fact that ISIS was very clever at using social media. QAnon has been very effective using all the different platforms. The other thing that was very common is that when uh, Facebook and Twitter and Etsy and YouTube started deplatforming the QAnon accounts, they started using a lot of the tactics ISIS did to evade the AI technology that was looking for ISIS stuff. Because starting in 2015, all the major social media companies clamped down on ISIS material. And so they had to move and go to Russian companies like Vcontact and Telegram. Same thing is true of QAnon. QAnon's lost a lot of its platforms in normal, you know, Google, Facebook, Twitter. And now where do we see them? We see them on Gab, we see them on Parlay, and we see them on Telegram, which is, other than the Parlay part, very similar to terrorist groups because they're using some of the evasive tactics to avoid the, um, the technology that's seeking out their material. And that's where I hear about where the paradox of tolerance comes in. Because you want to have free speech, you want everybody to be able to say whatever. And when you get them kicked off Twitter, that sounds suspicious. Like, oh, look, the deep state's trying to bring us down. It is corrupt. It is all this stuff. But if you allow it to spread more, then it becomes worse. So the paradox of tolerance is literally you have to be intolerant to tolerant. You have to be intolerant in some areas or else intolerance will win. You know, and, and the Supreme Court in Brandenburg v. Ohio in, what was it, 1949 or 1950, which is the free speech. This is where we have enshrined, you know, the protection of free speech, including hate speech. So there's a lot of speech that isn't nice, but it's protected. But there's speech that, regardless of freedom of speech, is not protected. So, for example, um, you've heard that, ex that example of a screaming fire fire in a crowded movie theater. Well, it's only illegal if there isn't a fire. So there is a fire, you can scream fire, fire. And that's where we start getting into these issues about whether or not QAnon or people who are spreading disinformation about the election or spreading disinformation about individuals, whether that becomes a freedom of speech. And part of it is one, the social media companies have decided that if something online could lead to real world harm, then they can deplatform it because it's a violation of their terms of service. But the other thing that's really important to know is that the social media companies are not the U.S. government and they don't have to abide by the First Amendment of the Constitution. 
social media companies can fire people for doing lots of different things. So if I work for Facebook and I drop the F-bomb or I say something really stupid, I can lose my job, even though I was, you know, freedom of expression. And I wouldn't win that in court. And I think that's where a lot of, um, at least initially, many of the social media companies hid behind the First Amendment of the Constitution to say, oh, we can't get rid of neo-Nazis and Proud Boys and this and that. I personally think it's because they were making so much money from these groups. But at a certain point, you know, there's a tipping point at which they decided, you know, real world harms. And I think it's because of what happened in Christchurch with the Christchurch Accord. When we have social media companies offering the opportunity, like um, Brandon Tarrant, to live stream a massacre, whether it's in Poway or in Pittsburgh or in New Zealand, then we have to really hold the social media companies accountable. They have a responsibility and a duty to protect. And I don't think then it's about freedom of speech. It's about not creating an avenue where dangers and harms can come together and, and bear fruit. Because, you know, this is, where, this is where there's a responsibility that they need to take. They are very, very powerful and very influential. And they're still, despite whatever they took down in the summer of 2020 and in October of 2020, right before the election, there's still something like 93,000 QAnon accounts that are still up. So, you know, again, this is where the, the social media companies can only do so much. We need to have better information. We need to be patient and we need to stay on message. So if we're going to talk to people about sort of the dangers of QAnon, we can't do so in a way that's dismissive and insulting. We have to explain things like, you know, listen, I get you want to help the kids. Me too. I get that it's dangerous and it's crazy out there. I agree. I get that we don't like these things going on. I agree. Where do we go from here? And so you make it that you're taking the journey together rather than you're telling the person what to do. So you address the same concerns, but say, maybe not even say like, instead of doing that, let's do this. Just say, hey, this looks like a better route than the whole conspiracy route you've gone down. Well, and I wouldn't even necessarily say that because then the person gets defensive. So one of the things, Sophia is a clinical psychologist, in addition to being an expert on the psychology of terrorism. And so she says, you know, just ask questions and say, okay, we'll explain this. And you'll get to a point at which they cannot explain inconsistencies. So it's almost the reverse of what you were saying. It's not, what about this? What about this? What about this? Until they get to the point where they see we're right. And then the whole thing is right. You just keep asking questions like, okay, but but how does that work? Like, how does it work that um, Matt Gates is hanging out with Marjorie Taylor Greene and it looks like he had sex with a 17 year old for money and she's underage and Marjorie Taylor Greene is supposed to be this QAnon, you know, save the children person. Like, how does that work? Or why is it that Sidney Powell says in court, oh, she doesn't mean anything that she says. Like, why would you still believe her? And so, it puts them on the spot, but not in a way where they necessarily feel defensive. Gotcha. Makes sense. I want to bring it back to, you mentioned something about mental uh, illnesses earlier on. And I found too, that in the court records following the arrest of the Capitol insurrection, the QN and followers, 68% of them were reported to have received the mental health diagnosis. And the average for all Americans is 19%. So a lot of these I people- I think you're, you're reading Sophia's article. Are you reading, those are the data, that's the data that Sophia presented, I guess, two months ago, the article was translated into like 70 different languages and stuff, like it's all over the place. So that's absolutely true. So the baseline for mental illness, and again, this is everything from like anxiety to full-blown mental illness, um, like schizophrenia or something that's psychosocial, like really serious stuff, but the entire spectrum. What we know is of the first, from 2018 to 2020, there were about 12 crimes associated with QAnon, including this one guy, Bucky, who ran his brother through with a sword. Yes, a sword, because he believed he was a lizard person um, and, mm. like, to his own brother. But most of the crimes that were committed were committed as a result of some sort of mental illness. And many of the crimes uh, perpetrated by women were these women who were kidnapping their own kids because they had lost custody or were harming their kids. You know, they had that, 
that illness called Munchausen syndrome by proxy, where you harm your child in order to get people to feel sorry for you. And anyways, um, so what Sophia did was ordinarily mental illness in the country before COVID was about one in 10 people, which is still a lot. After COVID-19, because of quarantines and lockdowns, and just the fact that there's a global pandemic, global health, there's a global economic crisis, there's a global justice crisis of race and police killings and vehicle rammings of protesters. It's been a really tough year. We're up to four in 10 people are suffering from some sort of anxiety or mental illness, which means that there's been a 400% increase in the country of everybody. We're all experiencing it. But with QAnon, the people who have been arrested have previously some sort of record of severe, more severe mental health issues. And so that's why she came to the conclusion that it's not a radicalization problem. We're not worried about, about QAnon being the next ISIS, but we have to treat it not as countering violent extremism, which is how we ordinarily approach radical, you know, radical ideologies, but we have to treat it with uh, mental health interventions, with psychosocial treatments. And that's why the approach should be at the individual level, one of empathy and kindness and helping that person come back out of the hole into the light, rather than calling the police and saying, I think, you know, I think my, my cousin who's QAnon um, is the future a terrorist. You know, unless they're actually buying, you know, fertilizer, I would say most people are probably not going to ever go down that route. That reminds me a lot about people suffering from alcohol or drug addiction in the sense that you don't say, hey, you're an addict or you don't say you need help or even the other side where a lot of people use drugs or alcohol as like a crutch because basically it's not that they're dependent. It's that they have these mental illnesses and they use these drugs as a way to deal with what they're struggling with. So I could see they they self-medicate, you know, like someone who's um, bipolar. And so they're smoking weed all the time, in essence, so that they're not having the highs and the lows because they're smoking weed all the time. They're just sort of like chill. And I can see the same approach where like these people sort of need help or mental health because of like what you just said. So QN, it might be the same thing where instead of saying, hey, let's fix them, get rid of this QN and problem you have. No, like help them get the mental illness treatment they need. And maybe they'll be less inclined to use or follow QAnon. It, it could be that QAnon, in some ways, if you think about it, the way these terrorist organizations usually operate, because I've been studying for like longer than you've been alive, but I've been studying this for a really long time. And, you know, when, for example, ISIS on its platforms on Telegram, so they had, you know, these chat rooms and they had these channels. What they were doing is they were posting constantly, but they kept you engaged. You couldn't leave the screen. And the reason you couldn't leave the screen is sometimes there would be something to link to, like to click on. And if you weren't there within 30 minutes, it disappeared. And they were exploiting people's fear of missing out to be like, oh, my God, I can't believe I missed that channel. And now I can't get it. Next time I'm not leaving the computer or I'm I'm going to put it on my phone with my push notification so that if there's something to link to, I'll link to it. But they also varied what it is that they showed you. Sometimes it was like, sometimes a GIF and sometimes a poster and sometimes a meme and sometimes a video and sometimes a song. And in other words, they mixed it up so that you never got bored. And what it does is that the brain is in a constant state of arousal. And I don't mean like sexual arousal, but arousal in a brain way where it's like, it's like, you know, when you're always ready for a fight, like you're always ready for something. And that in some ways, will also in your brain act a little bit like a drug. And so you're getting these dopamine hits in the brain. So you're not taking drugs, but you're getting the dopamine hits in the brain, you know, in different parts of your brain are getting activated by this material. And I think in some ways, if if the terrorists were doing it, ISIS has replicated, sorry, QAnon has replicated ISIS's success by having this, because I'm on the channels and I see, and you know, I will, again, I'm aware of it and I'll be on the channels for hours and I'll just be sitting there going, I, if you, this is your world. And if this is what you believe, I totally understand why you think the way, you know, the stuff that we think is crazy. I totally get it because this is the only information you're getting. And they're saying 
don't watch the mainstream news. MSM is evil. And they, they say, don't even watch Fox. Stay on these channels. We will give you all the information you need. And so now you're only getting your information from a QAnon source that is trying to profit off of you and keep you engaged that you never, you know, look at the real television or read the newspaper. At the risk of some listeners uh, actually now finding these sources and going into and diving down the rabbit hole, where are these people getting their news from? Like what websites or what resources? Well, so they have their own dedicated channels. And so let me, I'm going to, while I'm talking to you, yeah. let me see if I can give you without getting into it. Right. All right. So they, the website I see very often is called resistthemainstream.org. And I don't want to encourage people to go there, but they basically resistthemainstream.org is one of the channels that they will tell you that that's where you should get your news. And so if you're on QAnon, if you're in this world of QAnon, you're not even watching Fox or Newsmax or One America News. You are getting curated material that is imbued with the QAnon mythology so that you believe that it's not a mythology, you believe that it's real. And the example that I gave you before about Tim Ballard, Tim Ballard is like legitimately a hero who is saving children from trafficking around the world. So they, they lom on to someone like Tim Ballard, like Jim Caviezel is playing Tim Ballard in the movie, but then Caviezel believes in QAnon and adrenochrome and all this crazy stuff. And they've adopted Tim Ballard. But when you look at who is Tim Ballard saving, he's saving kids from Haiti and from Colombia. These are not the white blonde kids in the QAnon advertisements. I typed in the website when you mentioned it and- Uh-oh. Yeah, first thing I see, Bill Gates. Second thing I see, Hunter Biden. <laughs> like They really, yeah, they're completely obsessed with Hunter Biden. Oh, I believe it. And it looks, I mean, it looks legit. They got a nice politics tag, a nice US tag. Yeah. Yeah, it's well and, modeled. And this stuff is constant. And I don't want to encourage people to go down the rabbit hole. But you know, for some of the people that are looking at what we call in communication studies, you know, we call it persuasion, which is propaganda. Some people, sometimes to be able to inoculate yourself, you have to know what they're saying, which is one of the reasons why we read all the QAnon stuff. And we read it as, you know, two trained PhDs. And we could tease out the elements that there was always the best conspiracy has at least a tiny kernel of truth. That's why they say like the best lies are mostly true, right? And so because there's a tiny kernel of truth, there is something for the logical, rational mind to go, well, that looks reasonable. But then from there, it gets less and less reasonable. So it's almost like the longer you're on the channel, the more outrageous stuff you're going to see. And, you know, they, they will show stuff. And I'll give you an example. They will show comics like Bill Maher making fun of adrenochrome and making fun of QAnon as evidence that it really exists and they're doing this comedy in order to hide in plain sight. Also, I wish it didn't get taken down. I was looking up before I did this, but qmap.pub, you ever know of that website? So Jason Galinas, who used to be a Citibank executive, created the QMAP. And what the QMAP was, if you were interested in QAnon and you were on first 4chan and then 8chan and then 8chan became 8kun, it's, it's really intended for someone of a much younger age because it's, it's very technical, either the Reddits or the Chans, they're kind of busy, they're, it's very unclear. And so what you had was you had a few of these YouTube influencers who were QAnon take the Q drops from 4chan, then 8chan, then 8kun and show sort of in real time, we're gonna translate those Q drops and show you how it's connected to Donald Trump and here's the proof and so on and so forth. Galinos had this idea that he was gonna create a web, like a platform that was very clean with these pull down menus and you know a few icons and you could have things like one icon was for mysterious deaths and one was a chess piece and one was you know from a deck of cards. But the idea was that if you were not particularly a techie person, you could still navigate and get all your QAnon materials. And I think at the height of it, Mr. Galinas had something like 10 million visitors a month. And again, it had his Patreon account and his PayPal account, and it was a way for him to make money while he was at that same time, a Citibank 
vice, like executive or vice president. So I think that's one of the reasons QAnon became also very popular is it went to platforms where your grandparents could use it because, you know, the same people who still have 1212 on their microwaves were not especially adept with technology, but Galinas made something that anyone could use because the pull down menus are very easy. It was a white background, it was very clean. So I guess, where does it end in the sense that what's the storm and what's the great awakening that I found? So the great awakening is for people when they realize that, you know, there is a conspiracy of the cabal of drunk, of blood drinking elites and Democrats and Hollywood and the royal family and a few in the bushes, in fact, so even some well-known Republican families. So that's the, the, the great awakening. The storm was supposed to be what... Um, Sidney Powell was talking about, you know, she talked about the Kraken, um, was supposed to be um, in March, I guess it was March 4th or 5th, 4th, and it didn't happen. And so part of it is that uh, QAnon, none of the predictions really come true. And so they keep having to push it back, push it back, push it back. Uh, the idea is that, you know, in many ways, um, it almost reminds me of the rapture, that there's going to be this point at which everyone realizes. And I think that's one of the reasons having the Great Awakening makes QAnon more appealing to evangelical Christians, because they can identify like having that awakening. That probably was how they became evangelicals. You know, they woke up one day and they realized that they had to have a different relationship to Christ and have Christ in their lives in a very significant way. And I think that that's one of the reasons why it appeals to certain religious groups. I forgot, but way back when I was hearing about QAnon, one of the problems is they have to keep pushing back these dates because like, oh, this is going to happen. But then when it doesn't happen, they're like, oh, no, it's a coding because we made a small mistake. And isn't it sort of like that constant reeling or that constant dragging along that it never gets anywhere? It's a constant moving of the, you know, it's, it's moving the bar constantly. And part of it is that QAnon is able to hide behind this. Well, you know, um, they tell you to do your own research, even though the Q drops were preceded for you to reach a conclusion. But people can be like, well, you know, I did my own research and maybe I got it wrong. Like people will be more inclined to think, okay, well, I just, I just made a mistake with this. When in fact, the reality is that, uh, no, no, it's bullshit. <laughs> it's not true. So you know, um, the March 4th, I think, came from Sovereign Citizen, uh, this idea that up until 1933, the, um, the, the date wasn't January 20th, it was March 4th. And then, of course, the United States stopped being a country and became a corporation. And it has to do with the gold standard. It's very complicated. We tried to explain that a little bit in the book because without us sounding like the crazy person with the whiteboard and the red string, but we do try to explain all of these different dates and why they're important. And then at the end of the book, we have an FAQ section. So let's say you just want a quick answer for something. You don't have to read the whole book. You go to the back of the book, be like, okay, now I have an answer for my cousin who goes, well, what about X or Y? And you're like, here it is. Here's the answer. Is this what caused the capital storming then because of the QA experience? No, it's not different. No, no, I was going to say, no, no, no. I see why you're saying that. And I think that that's, the reason why people like Elizabeth Newman and others are so worried about QAnon being a potential terrorist um, organization. Now, part of the reason why FBI Director Christopher Wray, back in 2019, and again, he reiterated it in 2020, was because at some point, a believer in QAnon um, had a, like a shootout on the Hoover Dam. And because the Hoover Dam is part of very important infrastructure, and supplies electricity to Nevada and California and a bunch of other <laughs> surrounding states. Um, that's where it had the potential to be a terrorist attack. But what happened is the vast majority of the dangerous people on January 6th would have been the three percenters and the Oath Keepers and the Proud Boys and the neo-Nazis. The QAnon people bulked up the crowd and they were very easy to identify because generally either like Jacob Chantley they had a giant Q on their chest, or they were wearing a shirt that said Q, or they were carrying a, a flag that said Q. So what it did was, you know, you had a small group of uh, right-wing extremists storm the Capitol, bulked out with a lot of, you know, hundreds and hundreds of QAnon believers to make it into a much bigger crowd. But I think that, you know, again, um, most of the people who believe in QAnon 
are not violent extremists, and I don't think that they're about to be recruited by the KKK. A lot of people who are in QAnon have probably not seen anti-Semitic content. So we know that, you know, some of the people who've left say, I had no idea that there was anti-Semitism in Q. Either she just wasn't primed to notice that that was anti-Semitic, because as soon as you're talking about blood drinking elites and, you know, George Soros, now you're in the anti-Semitic realm. Gotcha. Okay. Well, the final question is, is there any final message that you want to tell the audience? I think I'm contractually obligated to say, read the book, but no, what I'll say to the audience is that the vast majority of people who are in QAnon, it's very likely, you know, someone, and it might be a Facebook friend, or it might be a relative, or it might be someone with whom you work. And it's very important that we each, you know, it takes a village. We each take personal responsibility to try to help those people away from QAnon because it's going to hurt them. This belief in conspiracies is corrosive, not just to democracy and to the institutions that make this country the shining city on the hill, but also it's really bad for people individually for their mental health. I mean, if you're constantly being exposed to these horrible images and like the worst hyperbole about blood drinking pedophiles, you're constantly going to be like freaking out. So for everyone's sake, not just for the sake of democracy, but for the sake of everyone's mental well-being try to help someone into the light do so with understanding and kindness and patience realize that they didn't go down that rabbit hole in 30 seconds and you're not going to get them out in 30 seconds so patience is a virtue and let's all help each other you know in the same way that we're in it together we all need to be in this together definitely hope we can all take those steps all right well thank you dr mia bloom for coming out to the show thank you bill for having me and uh, yes, again, so I have to get uh, a few times to say, uh, the, book is, the book is only 20 bucks. We made it cheap on purpose because uh, we wanted to make sure as many people as possible could read it. And it wasn't going to be like breaking the bank. But there's some humor in it. And there's a lot of questions that you've never known. You'll be able to answer those and understand QAnon better than you do now. Sounds good. For the people listening through the podcast, you'll see a link for them in the description. People on the radio. I recommend you go to podcast, podcasttheway.com. This is FM 91.7, WHUS source at the top of the hour. And as always, deuces. This has been The Way Podcast. If you want to know more about The Way Podcast, go to podcasttheway.com.